Hey, welcome to Shanks Tavern. Do you know what ghosts, biker gangs, hippies, and a man with a wooden leg all have in common? Well, sit back and enjoy some stories from the oldest operating tavern in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Welcome to the new podcast, History, Politics, and Beer, where we examine contemporary issues through the lens of history. Now, from the home office in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, we invite you to sit back with an ice cold one and enjoy the pontifications of your hosts, Matt Shockey and Jeff Hudson. Welcome, everyone. History, politics, and beer. Uh, we are here at Shanks Tavern. Uh, we were here a few weeks ago doing a podcast on uh, federalism. With me to my left always is Jeff Hudson. It wouldn't be history, politics, and beer without Jeff. And to my right is Bob Shank. He is the owner, operator, proprietor uh, of this fine establishment uh, right down here in Marietta, Pennsylvania, right off of the Susquehanna River. If you haven't had a chance to be down, if you're local, if you're coming through, it's right off Route 30. Um, certainly a place you absolutely want to visit. It is a great, great old establishment. But I think before we get in, this is going to be an interview with Bob, um, trying to get some of his stories and find out a little bit of history of this tavern. But I think before we do that, Jeff, we want to step back even a little bit further and talk a little bit about the history of Marietta. Well, as you mentioned, uh, Matt, Marietta is along the banks of the Susquehanna. And uh, the rivers were the highways back then. Right. There weren't any railroads. There weren't many uh, public roads. And so towns grew up all- along the river. And Marietta was one of those towns. The purchase <coughs> of uh, the acres that the town was built on actually goes back to 1719. You think about that. That's like that's only 100 years after the Pilgrims are settling in Plymouth. And, I mean, this and is... more than 50 years before the American Revolution. So right. that's, it, it, it's old. Uh, uh, it was bought by an Indian uh, trader, and he eventually sold the land to a guy named Reverend James Anderson, and he created a ferry. And people who know this area will know there's an Anderson Ferry Road, and there was a ferry across the Susquehanna. Uh, this is before, any, yeah, I'll say this is before bridges. Oh yeah, this is before any so, bridges were going to cross a mile of water. Right. So the only way to get back and forth across any waterway was to own a ferry, and that would have been a pretty lucrative business. Yeah, and uh, you know the the borough was incorporated in 1812, and it actually uh, put two towns together, one called New Haven and one called Waterford. And if you visit Marietta. You'll see there's an S curve right in the middle of the town. That's because the main streets didn't meet up. So, so they just made an S curve there. So much for great German engineering, right? <laughs> yeah. And then uh, Anderson named the town after two of his daughters, Mary and Henrietta. So we have no Marietta. And uh, you That's know, a name you don't hear very often, Henrietta. No. That's not a popular name. I, I taught uh, for 33 years altogether. And I never taught a Henrietta the whole time. <laughs> Did you teach a Henrietta? I've never had a Henrietta. And any other town, you know, kind of hit on hard times. But then and uh, between 1825 and 1830, the Pennsylvania Canal was built. And now you had uh, traffic coming up and down the Susquehanna. Okay. Uh, people needed uh, a place to stop, to stay, have a beer. And uh, Marietta was, was it. So um, the history of the, the tavern actually goes back to, was 1814, is that right, Bob? Yep. So this brings us, and it gives us this small town on the Susquehanna, um, and the bar is right on the Susquehanna, Bob. And um, your family came into ownership in 1930. Do you have, do you, 
did, that was your mom, your grandma? That was my grandfather, Shank. Your grandfather, Shank. And right. You, how did he come about buying a bar? And I, I mean, because really, honestly, 1930 seems like a crazy time to buy a tavern because we're talking about prohibition. Yeah, that's a good question because I, I found some letters from my dad and Pop Shank must have wrote him when my dad was in the army and over in Italy. And Pop Shank said, would you want a 10 bar? at a, a bar when you got out of the service because I'm thinking about buying a bar. <laughs> and I just saw the letter, and I don't know what transpired after that, but obviously he did. So Pop Shank had the bar, and my dad ran it uh, into you know the 40s and 50s. But during Prohibition, I know that, uh, that when the revenuers were coming, they would walk in, take a look around, and give them a stamp because they had already taken all the hooch over to the house next door. Okay. And it was just kind of like they knew they were coming, get everything out of here. They walk in, they don't see anything, they give you the stamp and turn around. Okay. A little smile and a wink and we'll so. see you later. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Well, you know, revenuers, they can, make, they can make more money taking small bribes than they, <laughs> than, than they could. Oh, make, sure. I mean, they, they weren't well paid. Uh, yeah. Revenuers weren't well paid at all, and there weren't very many of them. Um, so it would it would have mean nothing to them to come in. I mean, you're just busting local balls. I mean, you have a local bar here. The, you know, it made, it made no sense to ring up a place like Shanks Tavern. Just it, probably your dad or your grandfather gave them a free meal or a little bit of money I, on the I, side. I would say probably. And you just went along their merry way, and everyone did what, what. So, what is your first memory of the bar? I mean, because you kind of you're you're not many kids grow up around taverns. My first memory of the bar is, uh, God, I was probably five years old, maybe six, and just running around down here. <laughs> and uh, back before, uh, back when I was young. The bar ran across. It isn't like it is now. It went from the uh, window close to Front Street on Waterford Avenue across. And that's the picture I showed you guys. And there was a jukebox in the corner. And uh, I would go sneak behind there and just sit back there for hours listening to the old songs of the 50s and stuff. And every time I hear some of those old Western country western songs trips me right back to that and i remember the old timers that used to come in here that uh, were part of my grandfather's uh cronies that would be in here every day one was joe ratu and he had uh, uh he did the cleaning for my dad he'd sweep or, or my grandpa he'd sweep in the mornings and his brother sam would be with him every once in a while and sam had a wooden leg and he always wanted me to come over and say, come on, you come over and tap on this. And I'd tap on his leg. And he had a pair of these big black bones that looked like beef bones. And he'd sit in there in the afternoon and play these bones, <laughs> bouncing it off his wooden <laughs> leg. Yeah. So he brought his own instrument into the bar. <laughs> yeah. And that, well, that's probably one of the earliest uh, and, 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 and by the way, Shanks has live music to this yeah. day. Uh, <laughs> the beef bones. Yeah. Some, you know, you brought up Bob, the pictures on your walls. And um, when you walk into Shanks Tavern, you guys have not, I, I'm, I'm almost saying, I'm going to put air quotes here, modernized the tavern. You've really kept the feel 
of the age. You get you feel the right. age and yeah. the you know. Could you talk a little bit? Is that a conscious decision to keep that feel? Well, you know, a lot of times we were you know would would think you know we ought to enlarge this or do something, but you know these walls are three course brick. And there's a huge fireplace behind here. Okay. We would wanted at one time would we were going to incorporate this room with the main room and the bar, but there's just too much. Uh, there's too much brick, and it was it wasn't feasible to okay. ever be able to remodel and enlarge this bar without kicking out a wall and going into the yard or something. And we certainly didn't want to do that. Right. And uh, it, we just wanted to maintain. The look of what it was, you know, all the character that it had through the years. Right. And I know in the 50s, my dad, uh, when the age of rock and roll came in to Vogue and Little Richard yeah. and Jerry Lee Lewis, my dad had the walls painted chartreuse, chartreuse green. Oh, my God. Yeah. And the, and the wainscoting was black. Okay. And, oh, wow. Oh, and it was. And then he had record albums all over the walls. Okay. And he was the first to have an actual stereo system put in the bar uh, where you would play records in stereo. And he had he had some funny records that they were playing ping pong and tennis. And, I mean, this was something no one ever heard of before. They'd be sitting in the bar, and you'd hear this ping pong game going <laughs> Because back it was in stereo, yeah. it was going back. And, and, he, had the, and he, had this, <laughs> he had the speakers on the front street wall. And it, it was hilarious. It was just crazy. And then when, after him and mom got divorced, the first thing mom did was paint all that over and went to the, you know, to the more milder tones of tan. And she stripped the wainscoting and made that original. But well, I'm, she, I'm not sure after a night of hard drinking, I want to look at the chartreuse yeah. walls. But you don't know. <laughs> Whatever. Chartreuse well, I walls. I see this right, like, uh, right behind you. There's still some black. Um, I'm assuming that that wainscoting right there has was just never stripped. Well, this was after the flood. We actually restripped everything. Okay, had to pull it off because uh, to dry that plaster out. That a lot of times out on the windowsills in the bar, somebody will scrape it, and you can still see that chartreuse paint okay. that we painted over out there. But that was funny. I wish I had a picture of that. Boy, that I'm not. That's ugly. Oh, it was butt ugly. It was butt ugly. And I, I can still see that these little Richard, uh, and, well, and Frank Sinatra, too, and they, he had all these record albums all over the place. And uh, that, was a, that was a fun memory. Well, you, you mentioned the flood, and, of course, uh, your, uh, Shanks is on Front Street, right, along Don the river Agnes, here. right, 72? Well, do, yeah, yeah. In, in 36 there was a flood. I don't... The right, bar, well, did, my grandfather owned it during 36. Okay. We have pictures of them taking my grandma out of... They lived upstairs, and I have a picture of grandma going out this door. Put They put her in a rowboat. No kidding. Yeah. The okay. double doors here. She came down the steps behind you. And got into the rowboat, and they took her out. Took her out. Well, yeah, and if you ever visit Shanks, there's there's two high water marks. There's one from the 36 flood out front, but then there's a one from 72, and you would have remembered that. Right, right? That's yeah. Hurricane Agnes. Yeah, so. we actually well, have three out there. We oh, have yeah? that one. There was, there was one, I guess, in, what was it, 2011? Is that in the winter that uh, happened, that no, ice flow jammed no, up? No, but we did have a winter flood in 96. Yes, yes. And that was yep. a nightmare. 
you know, summer floods are a nightmare, but you can put on your shorts and take everything out. Right. And and when the winter, I mean, there were icicles in the cellar. We had to have those big propane or those kerosene heaters blowing. Okay. And that was a that was an ugly flood. But so was Agnes. Uh, you know, it had rained three days. And my brother and I were working construction down in Lancaster for ADCO Construction. And they, by the way, put the sewers in Marietta in 72. Okay. And uh, it was raining the first day, and we went down. They said, no work. And we said, yay. Third day, we went down, said, no work. We said, yay. Or the second day, the third day, we went down. They said, no work. And we said, all right. <laughs> so we're coming back, and Chickies Creek is really swollen. It, and I said to Jeff, I said, my God, I never saw it that high. And uh, by God, that's when the water started coming up. It was like June 23rd. And it came up. It was actually six inches from the second floor. Okay. And, so uh, it, it was completely ugly. over the first yeah, floor. Yeah. And I, I made the decision to put everything on the bar because it's never going to come up that high. And <laughs> it that, came up that high. It came up that high. We had a player piano sitting right here in the corner. They oh, used to have sing-along night, and when the water went down, that piano was upside down and had imploded. Oh, and yeah, swollen up yeah. with the water. Yeah, oh, we didn't take terrible. anything out yeah. you know, or up because we never thought it was going to get that high. And the subsequently, the floods after that, we took everything out. Okay. And we'd have I mean, we have two vans come in and they'd just take every every table, every chair, stir stick, all the equipment and which made it a lot easier to clean up too. Right. Now when that happens, how long does it take for you to guys get back up and operational? Because I'm thinking like I remember when the ninety six flood happened in the winter, I remember drive I mean they four forty one goes right up um, past Columbia, which is a town right next to you, that was closed. 441, I mean, I remember driving down, there was big, huge chunks of ice oh my God. sitting in the middle mm-hmm. of the road. Yeah. I mean, it must take, how long does it take to clean up from something? Well, with Agnes, it took us six months. We were closed six months because six months. Yeah, everybody was just caught so off guard. Right. And the last flood back in, like I said, was that 11, 2011, I believe? But anyhow, we were closed six weeks. Okay. Because, like I said, we had learned by then to take everything out. Okay. Now, I, I any, you're a kid growing up in um, a tavern, which is awesome. Um, there has to be bar fights. I mean, a bunch of guys getting together in a small town. Do you remember any altercations happening in the bar and the police showing up? And <laughs> well, I, I remember. Uh, obviously, I don't remember any bar fights when I was a kid because right. I wasn't in the bar at night. I was running around and running through and, like I said, hiding behind the jukebox right. and listening to songs. But I'm assuming you're hiding behind the jukebox. Your dad doesn't know you're there? No, nobody knew I was there. Okay. And anyhow, when I got out of the Navy, my mom said, hey, you know, I could use some help. Can you help me out? And, and what year is this you're getting out of the Navy? Uh, 1968. Okay. And I, right about that time, maybe a few years before that, uh, I don't know if a lot of people know this or not, but Harrisburg International Airport was Olmsted Air Force Base. 
and it was the second largest Air Force base in the East Coast. Now, we did, we, we mentioned East that Coast. last time, and that was not something I had I, I, I wasn't yeah. aware of that at all. And, uh, and the helicopter branch was in Marietta, and they called it the depot. And everybody worked at the depot. And when they did discommissioned that, they brought this load of redneck construction workers up from <laughs> Alabama called Daniels Construction. And they were all hanging out in uh, the different bars. Right. And uh, I saw some ugly fights when, you know, those rebels would get drunk. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, then there was uh, also a group of motorcyclists that called the Sons of Satan that used well, to that, be. That, that can't be good. The Sons of Satan. You guys don't remember that? I think I remember that name, but I don't. I never had anything yeah. to do with them. And, uh it turned in that well that motorcycle club is still out there but it was it was uh every time four or five six motorcycles would pull up right. and this was in like the 60s and 68 would just cringe because we knew there was going to be some kind of trouble and there always was there was always a, some kind of altercation that you know the nice people that were sitting here would get pushed around and okay. one time my mom had a birdcage back here with a uh, like a stuffed parrot in the bird cage, and somebody lit it on fire. God. And I smelled something. I smelled something burning, and I came back, and my mom must have smelled it. And she came down the steps, and she said, "That did it. I'm calling the state police." And she ran upstairs, and they all said, "We better get out of here." Yeah, but and and that kind of scared them. And from that day on, every time, like on a Saturday, if I'd be tending bar. 20 motorcycles would pull up. I'd just lock the doors and close. Oh, really? Yeah. And I'd say, we're closed. Huh. And they didn't like it, but uh, they, kind of, they kind of got to the idea that they weren't welcome. It was pushed out to lo your mm -hmm. local. Yeah, definitely. You know, Shanks used to be a bar. It was always a neat bar. But back in the late 60s, and it was a bar where there were so many assholes coming in here that the nice people in here felt intimidated. Okay. And it took us so long to cultivate a good crowd coming in here that now when you come in here, some asshole comes in, there's so many nice people. Right. They're the ones that think that, you know, like this isn't my kind of place. Now see, that's something I never really thought about as uh, owning a tavern that you have to cultivate the kind of crowd that you want in your establishment, right? I mean, you want a family friendly that you can, a family can bring their kids in to have a hamburger. And, you know, at night, uh, that same mom and dad could come back and have a few drinks. Oh, yeah. Listen to some music. Right. But not have to worry about, you know, right. that's, that's an interesting thing. I never really thought about that. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, in this day and age, we don't put up with, uh, if somebody drops the F bomb, I mean, right off the bat, you go over and say, hey, man. We don't use that word in here. Okay. And uh, that's just not part of our vocabulary. And, and everybody that works for me, we have such a good staff that uh, they're all willing to go along with everything. And so we run a pretty tight ship. Okay. Now, do you still, do you still have problems today with anything like that? You know, I'm going to knock on wood because we haven't had a bar fight or an argument in here for, I, I can't remember, 20 years. Oh, well, that has to be, I, I would maybe, think, a lot Maybe 25, right? yeah. Now, it, are there, because there's a lot of bars that go down Marietta, is there, I don't have to mention bars by name, but 
are there still <laughs> bar fights and where, where that crowd goes? Uh, well, kind of, sort of. Okay. Yeah. I mean, up here, we, we have some of the upscale bars, but okay. there are, you can hit some of the lower scale bars, <laughs> uh-huh. and I'm sure they do have problems. And unless you, unless you stop a confrontation right when you hear it happening, okay. and, and you have to be on top of it, too, because you can kind of... A bartender has to listen to everything, all the conversations. And right. and you can tell when somebody or two people are starting to get irritated or something. And you just walk over and say, hey, guys, you know, we don't want any trouble in here. If, you know, you got to take it outside. Okay. And, and that's very tactful. And normally it hasn't escalated into a barroom fight yet. Okay. Because the worst thing you want to do is try and break up two guys fighting. Right. I remember one night a guy was fighting and the guy ran around the bar and this his name was Dave Fox, I'll never forget it. He picked up a bar stool and wailed it across the bar and if I wouldn't have been there to block that bar stool would have hit our Tiffany lamp that we had oh. hanging out there. And do you do you find that taverns have changed they've it seems to me that within the last maybe twenty years taverns have become kind of a different place a different clientele is showing up to taverns you get families coming in i don't think did you always have that or have you noticed a different change in your clientele over the years i I noticed a change in you know talking about bikers okay you know back when the sons of satan were coming in here and the pagans i mean everybody's heard of them what was the movie what's the the biker movie at the end of the movie they he hits them at the, the car comes up beside them and easy rider. easy rider. That's yeah. we're, we're, this is the same easy rider. Well, sort. yeah, but yeah. I mean those guys aren't biker gangs. They're no, just no, they weren't. Yeah. Yeah. But they're they're still a little rebelish. Yeah, rebelish. Well, do you remember? Were, do you remember a time when when hippies were new coming in? Right. Was, was there any conflict Good between that? Uh, between the hippies? hippies and, and, well, I'll tell you, that was right there in the '60s when I got out of the Navy. It was it was hippie time and bell bottoms and. And these rednecks that were up here from Alabama, oh, Lord, just, that's a great combination. It, just they hated hated the hippies. Yeah, yeah so. but to answer your other question, I don't think the biker element, uh, the biker element around here, and especially in my my view, has changed unbelievably. Because normally, back when the bikers were coming in here, they were badass and they were looking for trouble. Right. And now, I mean, there's lawyers, doctors, right. everybody has a Harley, and right. Right. and that right. has just completely turned around. Right. Now and you see twenty Harley show up, you know that you're, there's a lot of money sitting in that parking <laughs> lot, right? I mean, those things are not cheap. Right. Bikes. And and, and uh, yeah, that brings us to they're probably here for the craft beer too. <laughs> exactly. They're not they're not here for the bun. No, anymore. they're not. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, a lot of people don't know this about Marietta, but this was one of the very first places where they produced vaccines in the United States right. back in the 1880s. Right. Really? Wyeth. Uh, uh, yeah. yeah. And uh, at one point uh, in the 1890s, there was more vaccine produced in Marietta than there was in any other town in, in the United States. And, of course, uh, I mean, it morphed into various, I think, Glac. GlaxoSmithKline is here now. So that's another. You probably get some lunch business from these guys. And mm-hmm. Well, we used another to get a lot of in the clientele. For well, a lot of we used to get a lot of lunch business from Wyeth and Armstrong and okay. Donegal, but now they all have cafeterias. 
and oh. they only give them a half hour. So our we don't get any lunch trade. Dang, that's like the company store. If you got a half hour, they're forcing you to buy their food. That's anti-American, Bob. Give you company script to go to the company <laughs> store to buy the company food. You know, I remember when Wyeth was up there, and I always felt sorry for these poor animals. They'd, they'd have, like, scabs all over them because I guess they cut the animal so yeah. they'd make a scab, and the vaccine would come from, like, the antibodies of these scabs. Oh, and okay. these poor freaking horses, I always pitied them so much. And they they had monkeys up there, too. And I remember one time three of them got loose, <laughs> and we're down at the river shore with BB you, guns. You, you would think the fire siren would have gone on with the monkeys. Were. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, it didn't. And, I, you know, we looked up, and by God, here are these monkeys swinging through the trees. I thought I was in a Tarzan movie. Yeah. And uh, we're trying to shoot at them with our BB guns. And uh, I don't know if they ever captured those monkeys. I mean, they were. we were watching them, and, you know, they were taking off, and, that was kind of a. Well, I don't think you're catching a monkey. <laughs> no, you're not, you're not climbing out. a tree catching no. a monkey. No, that's, you're you're got to, unfortunately, you have to shoot the monkey. <laughs> but it sounds like a euphemism of something. Um, yeah. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about politics. Not necessarily your politics, but bars are a place where, I mean, and this is one of the reasons why we call our podcast History, Politics, and Beer, because taverns were a place where political conversations took place, uh, where, you know, big decisions were made. Is your tavern, when you're sitting around the bar, is politics something that people still talk about and what's going on in the world? Well, not really. Okay. I, I don't hear. It used to be somebody would say, you don't talk about politics or religion while you're in Shanks. Okay. And you'd hear two people starting to argue. Right. And like I said before, you'd say, hey, man, you know, just, just drop the politic talk in here. Okay. Yeah, so, well, and, but, and I think, but like you said, it was the backbone of America. I mean, right. wars uh, were fought in bar rooms, and plans made, and and schemes, and assassinations, and <laughs> I mean everything, everything right? Yeah, yeah and I, you know, I think uh, it, it's it's too bad. I think we've lost the tradition, and I think it partly. Well, I remember uh, my parents, Bob. They they were married on December seventh, nineteen forty one. Holy Pearl moly. Harbor. I used to tease him. I'd say, you know, the Japanese quit, quit fighting the Americans, uh, you know, in 1945. You guys are still are. They were married for like 58 years. But uh, one was a Democrat. My mom was a Democrat. My dad was a Republican. And, you know, it didn't matter. They would say how they voted, but there was no great big argument. Yeah. You know, my dad liked F FDR. I don't know if he voted for Kennedy, but Kennedy was a Navy vet, so Kennedy was okay, yeah. even though my dad... Right. And, uh, you know, I feel bad we've kind of lost that where you could sit around and you can have uh, a disagreement without getting it ugly. Now yeah. it goes right to, oh, you're an idiot. It goes right you're, to ugly. You're, you're anti-American, and that's too bad. That's just too yeah. bad. That was part of... That was, you know, that's part of... you. You you drink with a friend, so you can friends can disagree, and I think we've lost that. Yeah, we've absolutely lost that. That you can sit around, have a drink, disagree, and still laugh about there's, it. And there's leave no friends. doubt about it. That is gone. That's unfortunate because that's that's something that I uh, my both my parents are are political, um, and I I like to disagree with people, not because I want to argue, just because I like to hear what other people think. You know, what I mean, I, if you disagree with me and you're an intelligent person, I'm always curious to know, like, you may know something that I don't know. And I'm I want to have had experiences that I don't have. I've had right. in my life where, you know, 
people are, are real different. You know? Right. I'd be stupid. And, and right, it just becomes part of, and this is, we talked about this in previous podcasts, Jeff, where it just simply becomes an echo chamber where you just say things because you want to hear yourself talk and you want to hear the same thing. And that's unfortunate that politics has to be something that isn't talked about in Shanks. But I completely understand why, because you want uh, – you want a, a nice atmosphere. People, people are laughing and having civil. a good time and mm-hmm. being civil. And when people are ha- laughing and having a good time, you're buying beers right. and, and doing that sort of thing. I, I want right. a, a complete non sequitur here. But Tina, your bartender, was telling a joke, uh, not a joke, a story, where you had to throw a guy out of the bar twice because, <laughs> right? <laughs> this, well, is, this, this is a great bar story. Yeah. Uh, we, we didn't have this was before me this was when my grandfather had it there was a town drunk god love him his name was brownie slowed and i remember brownie the town <laughs> drunk and, okay. and, oh my god and i remember seeing brownie stumbling around and uh so anyhow our bar is laid out for people that don't know it we have an entrance coming in off waterford avenue and then we have another entrance that you can come in coming off front street so Brownie Slowed come in the Waterford Avenue door one day, and he was hammered, and he came over to the bar, and my grandfather said, Brownie, he said, you know, it, it's only noon, and you're smashed. He said, oh, I can't serve you. You are just too drunk. And Brownie, he was a wonderful drunk. I mean, he was one of those guys that would just say, hey, no problem, and he'd kind of click his heels or do a Mr. Bojangles thing, and so he left, and he walked out the door. So he walked down. And he come in the front street door. And my grandpa was standing there. And Brownie said, holy hell, do you work here too? <laughs> Brownie thought he walked to another bar, but really he walked down to the other entrance. And that's, a, that's a true story. Well, hey, that's good you cut him off there. I don't think, yeah. Is that a problem now with uh, patrons? You had to cut patrons off? You know, every once in a while, but uh, I think uh, people are a lot more responsible now in days with drinking and driving because, I mean, they have really cracked down. And a lot of our people that come here aren't from Marietta. We get tons of people from York and Lidditzville. They call this Marietta, or they call Shanks York's favorite hometown bar. Because you're just driving across the yeah, road. Yeah. Every once in a while, we have to say to somebody, hey, man, I hate to tell you this, you had enough, but normally they'll come from somewhere and they'll be hammered and we won't serve them. And the liquor board has cracked down, too. I mean, if they catch you serving someone that's visibly intoxicated, the fines got unreal. But it certainly isn't like the olden days. We were just talking about that last week. It was every time we went somewhere, we would have a six pack in the car. Okay. And when I close up the bar at midnight and we'd go to the village or the old colony, we'd take a six pack or we'd go to York. And I mean, now drinking and driving is a big no no. And right. things have really changed. And I had a beer and uh, took a beer the other week. I was going to drive with it. And I thought, you know, I feel too weird driving, drink, trying to look around, make sure nobody's looking. I don't need a beer that bad. Right. It was just like kind of what everybody did. But to answer your question, there are, uh, a lot of people are more responsible. Well, yeah, different no kind of doubt bike. About it. 
You know, there's a different kind of biker at Shanks too. We should mention that about bikers because they or they have the Susco, they have the river trails now. Right. And you got a bunch of people uh, uh, pedal bikes, pedal bikes coming through, and they stop by. That's a, that's a different crowd than the other kind of. Definitely, and we have a bikers. T-shirt out that says Marietta's favorite biker bar, and it has and a, it has a picture of the tavern of a with bicycle. a bunch of bicycles yeah. lined up. Different, different kind of. Clientele. Let me ask you this: I don't know if you ever, if you've never met Bob. Bob, you are in incredible shape. I mean, you're in your 70s now, and I mean, you are as thin as a rail, and looks like you could run a marathon. You know, uh, my question is, do you still drink beer after all these years? Yeah, I do. I'm, okay. I'm kind of a weekend drinker. Okay. I, uh, uh, I I never was a huge drinker, but yeah, I drink beer. But I, you know, I had both my knees replaced uh, a year ago next Thursday. And, and beer didn't cause that. I think <laughs> I'm going to point that out. <laughs> I think I lost my train of thought. Your beer, you're your beer drinker. Oh well, and I I got back on track after that, and I was I always extra exercised, and I always had dogs, so I'm walking dogs, and I just kind of try and take care of myself. But what's your uh, my, the big question? What's your favorite beer? Well, you know, or, what? or type of beer? I, should, maybe I actually went through the whole gamut. We got started back in 1996 when the microbrew resurgence started that started out with a brewery called red feather over in chambersburg and we were one of the forerunners of getting micro brews in here at that time it was schaefer schmitz peels right uh, i remember all those uh, yeah <laughs> growing up and uh i started liking micro brews and then i started liking ales and then i went to dark beers we were on guinness and then i started not liking the hoppy beers because they got so hoppy nowadays that i mean i just i just can't stand them now we always have uh an ipa we always have a german wheat beer on tap but i enjoy a german wheat beer that's probably one of my favorites but if i'm just out having a sandwich and a beer or french fries or something i'll just drink miller light okay i hope i don't get shot no 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 (laughs) What, what is how do you decide what goes on the taps well Tina has been with me so long that her and I started out researching all the beers and we just look for what we look for the beers that are rated over 90. There's a beer barometer that they tell you what the popularity and how they're rated. Yeah, there's several sites. Beer Advocate. Yeah, the Beer Advocate. That's what I was trying to think of. So that's what we decide on. And like I said, we always have an IPA. We always have a a themed beer like uh, a summer shandy, a lemon, a fruity type beer. We always have have Guinness or Murphy's on. We always have a German wheat. And we always have two domestics. We have a Miller Lite or Coors Lite. And Yingli Lager, yeah. so uh, that we just kind of try and please everybody. Okay. We have something for everybody that comes in. Okay. So, all right. Now, now I have uh, this. This area was a rough area for a long with the canal man and all that. And and I, I just wondered, do you know of any of the buildings along here uh, were ever used for houses of ill repute? I heard rumor of that, but I certainly didn't know any of them when I was a kid. Okay. Uh, I remember there was a, supposedly a house down from the railroad house where 
this witch lived. Her name was Annie Bell. Okay. And all the kids were scared to death to even go by her house. And every once in a while, we'd see her walking, and we would run like hell. <laughs> but that doesn't have anything to do with the houses of ill repute. No. I I don't no. have any input on that. Okay. So that, but so I heard know. there were brothels in Marietta. Oh, there have to be brothels. Well, yeah. Well, I went back in the canal men because oh yes. they're stopping by. I mean, but, you're right, I mean, they, right, you're yeah. right on the river, and the guys who are running the canals and the guys who are running those canal boats. They weren't with their family. No, they're not with their families. <laughs> and you know, I'm sure there was churches here, too, that they could go, uh, you know, get forgiveness after visiting the brothel. Um, how much research have you done on your bar going back to 1814? Well, we, we researched it pretty good. We have all the names of all the owners. Okay. And uh, we have, uh, there were probably 20 different owners. And one owner that sticks out in my mind, uh, she was a woman that owned the tavern from 1865 to 1885. Okay. And... Uh, and that might not have been a usual thing. I'm going to say 1860, yeah, right I, after I the Civil War. I can't, we always said I can't imagine owning, uh, I can't imagine owning a, a woman, owning a bar back in those days. Because, I mean, it's a rough business to be in back then. Right, right. And mm. it just amazed me. Uh, her name was uh, Bauer. I can't think of her name, but we had some... Uh, uh, the ghost hunters were here a few times. Oh, cool. And every time they were here, they say, who was that lady looking out the window in a black dress? And or one said they saw her standing on the top of the steps. And we said, that's probably the owner that was here for 20 years that she didn't, li- that she didn't leave. Now, I'm assuming that maybe upstairs was a hotel at some point? Well, the hotel, I actually have a picture out here. The hotel was identical to this part of the bar, and it went the whole way back. But when Malik bought this place, he was a brewer from Germany. He had the brewery downtown. He bought... He bought the hotel. He bought the whole property, and he tore the hotel part down. And what you see now, the three-story townhouse, was his private residence. Okay. Okay. So he changed that. All right. Well, you just you mentioned the the witch, and then you mentioned the ghost. I mean, this is an old building. There has to be a lot of ghost stories that circulate with a building like this. I mean, it's been here a long time. Yeah. Well, this is funny. When we were kids. One of the spookiest nights in the bar was on Sunday uh, because everything was so quiet. You know, through the week we would hear, uh, you know, people using the cigarette machine or uh, dimes going into the uh, pay phone that was right out here in the hall and, and people talking and car doors and the jukebox. And Sunday night it was just spooky as hell. So one night my brother and I are laying in bed in our bedrooms at the top of these steps and there's not a sound. And something pounds on the door, and I go, bam, bam, bam. And I said, I looked down, we had bunk beds, and I said to my brother, do you hear that? And he said, yeah. So I got out of the bunk bed, and I looked under the door, and I didn't see any shadows or any feet standing there. And I thought, well, this is weird, because the place is locked up. We weren't open Sundays. And there wasn't anybody living in this uh, place but us. So we got back in bed. But we went over and told mom that there was somebody knocking on the door. And she said, that's impossible. She said, nobody's here. She said, you know we're closed, blah, blah, blah. So she came over, opened the door, 
and came down. Everything's locked up tight. She went up. She said, you two better get to sleep. So she came over, and she lived above the tavern port, and she shut the door. And when we were kids, we had these coat hangers that you used to put in a pair of pants. It was a long rectangular, a rectangular piece of wire that you'd put in your pants and you'd stretch it, and it'd put a crease in your pants. So there was a bunch of them hanging on our door. As soon as she shut the, her apartment door, something hit that door so hard that it split it. Uh, the door split, and these... The door co- split? Yeah, just kind of like... It didn't splinter, right. but it split, and these coat hangers flew to the other side of the room, and we went, we went hollering over, <laughs> and, and then now that scared mom, and she was afraid. Oh yeah, I guess it was. so. She didn't want to go check again. So after that, we told this story to our neighbor Jack Fry, and as a matter of fact, that's the house where they used to take the hooch I was talking about. All right. And that's the house I live in now. We bought that house from Ruthie Fry, and she died in the room she was born in 98 years later. So anyhow, uh, Jack Fry was her son, and one night he was sleeping over here to go fishing with my dad. And this was in the 40s. It was a hot summer night, and it was the Katy Dids and everything. You, You heard the sounds of summer. Before air conditioning, there were no fans. Especially along the river here in the right. woods. And, I bet it was noisy and there sometimes. was just, it, it, just the sounds of summer. And he said all of a sudden, everything stopped. And by coincidence, the, uh, just when all the sounds stopped, he was looking at the door. And it was the door that something pounded on. And this apparition came through the door. And it was kind of like a just a Casper-like thing. It wasn't, it didn't have a head or feet or anything like that. And another one came in the door, and both of them were kind of just floating there in front of him. And he said he was paralyzed. He said he couldn't move, he couldn't talk. He broke into a sweat, and he said it lasted about two or three minutes. And then both of them simultaneously went back and went through that door, and all the sounds of summer came back. And he ran home, and he never came in this bar for the next 35 years. And he he told that story to me, and he wrote it down. And we have that written down, and that's it's pretty but wild. If something changes your behavior for 35 years, you had some kind of uh, serious uh, uh, contact with the yeah. spirit world there. That's something. a really cool story. Yeah, and I, I'd have been scared to death, but... Like I said, Sundays were always spooked. Uh, you know, always spooked us out. What's the future for Shanks Tavern? Well, that's a good question. You know, I'm getting older, and uh, you know, everybody was. You know, all the convenience stores are buying up liquor licenses and right. giving incredible amounts for. Some, we were offered three seventy five, and you know, I think what I'm going to do with Shanks Tavern is just that. Uh, I have such a great staff. I, I don't want to sell it. I don't want it to sell it to some knucklehead that's going to try and change it into an Italian restaurant or uh, put a barbecue pit in the back and make a, a biker bar right. out of it or something. I think what I'm going to do is offer it to my employees and uh, let them give them some kind of great deal on it. Just let them work it. What they make, they keep, and we'll just... 
keep running it in the tradition of a hometown neighborhood bar. And as long as everybody's happy, that's what we'll do. And when they get sick of that, why well, we'll sell it, and then I'm going to split the money between the employees. So that's my plan. Well, I do know you're right that Pennsylvania, uh, I don't know if you, our listeners are familiar, but there's only, the serve alcohol, you need a liquor license. And when you, when you have a liquor license, you own it. It's yours, mm-hmm. and you have the right to sell it. I guess the state has to approve who you're selling it to. Uh, we just had a local bar in um, Strasburg. Uh, Strasburg, the Swan. It's been there. God knows how long the Swan has been there as a tavern. And they finally sold their liquor license. And, you know, what's funny, you know, uh, 30 years ago, liquor licenses were worth about five grand because you had to keep them in the town you were in. Okay. So, and then they made it that you could move it anywhere in the county. And that's when liquor licenses really started to skyrocket because, you know, oh, I can buy a little shithole bar tavern a license for five grand and open a bar in Lancaster. Okay. Right. And, and or, all of a sudden that's right. worth a lot, uh, yeah, a lot of money. Yeah, or Fridays. And, uh-huh. you know, all these other chains coming in, you know, were sucking up liquor licenses. And that really raised the price of liquor licenses, skyrocketed. So that, that was a good thing. Well, that's great. For I mean, the people I had them. Yeah. <laughs> for, the yeah. People I had, yeah. for the people I had them. Well, I, I tell you what, uh, Bob, it's been great talking uh, with you. I, I hope people are listening. Uh, come down to historic uh, Marietta uh, along the river. See the old buildings, the charm. Uh, hang out with a ghost a while. <laughs> and uh, come into Shanks and have a beer and, and some good food. And, guys, and if you're listening to us um, out of state, there's lots of great taverns out there you should be visiting. Uh, be local. Uh, go to a local tavern that's locally owned and give them your business. Um, like I said, if you have a chance, come down to Marietta and visit Shanks. It's a great place. Um, and thanks, Bob, for taking an hour yeah, out of your day. Yeah, thank you. It's been fun. We appreciate that. And we'll see you next time, boys and girls.